You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Imagine your favorite book or maybe your favorite movie. In my case, maybe a favorite comic book. Why not mix it all together? Why not your favorite comic book movie? Now, imagine how much joy it has brought you, brought those around you. Imagine all the fun conversations and awesome moments you love to just replay in your head. Now imagine if the creator of that comic book, which then turned into the movie you love, never did it. Now, you're probably wondering, well, why wouldn't he do it? Was he hit by a bus? Was he run over by an elephant? Did he get COVID? Did he die from food poisoning? What if I told you he or she never wrote it not because they didn't take the effort to complete it what if they never submitted it for publishing or for review what if they got one review in the books but they got rejected and that just completely crushed them well at least they tried a little bit right still still a sad story what if after finishing it actually let's go let's go back a step what if before even taking the time to put the work in to create it, they simply said, I'm afraid of what people might think. I'm afraid it might not be as good as some of the other things out there. I'm afraid it won't sell. I'm afraid that no one will like it. I'm afraid. Is that selfish? Depriving of the world, depriving the world of your gift because you're afraid of what other people might think or say about it. Depriving the world of something that could bring genuine happiness to people because you're afraid of being in the spotlight. Well, cancel culture. Well, you know, I can't do it because because the, the cancelers and everything. It's like, that's, that's selfish. Let me tell you, as somebody that has had campaigns big and small, and I'm a relative nobody in the grand scheme of things, to, uh, to go after a person because of what they believe or what they've said or what they do. Um, they're, you know, it sucks, but that's never a reason not to do what you love. I am bringing this up today because this is, uh, this is some free advice for a lot of you. Now, the, the one lesson I learned, and some of, my, some of my closest mentors have had to reemphasize this with me over and over again, is that I need to safeguard my time like the night watchman from freaking uh 
Game of Thrones, you know, the, the, the night watch or whatever they're called, the guys who watch the gate. Um, something that I failed to do was put a value on my time and also make sure that for the time I was giving people, it was equal to the amount of effort that I was putting in and that I was getting enough value out of it back. I get a lot of people. For every three people that reach out to me um, to do any type of consulting, whether it be copywriting, podcasting, digital marketing, uh, audits, all that stuff, book consultations, um, all the gambit, I, I have I have three types of people. I have the person that's just trying to fish for information in which I'm like, well, you know, I do a podcast about this. Well, you know, I've written stuff about this. Well, you know, I've, uh, I've done articles. I've done it. I do a newsletter. I, I have a lot of free resources out there that you can go ahead and look at. And they, they just keep asking for, it's like, well, you know, I just have one minor question. And that leads into a dozen other minor questions. Uh, so that's the one person who was just trying to like go, like, like I saw this homeless person walk into a Panda Express one time and he wanted one sample of everything out there. And eventually they were just like, you know, we got to get this homeless guy out. So they just gave him a plate of food eventually just to get him out. They told him to eat outside. But, uh, you know, imagine that. It's that person who's like, I just want one sample here. Can I get a sample of that? And next thing you know, you're at Baskin Robbins and somebody's tasting all 31 flavors. And at the end of the line, they're like, nah, I know I just took up everyone's time who's waiting in line so I can get a sample of everything I've probably tried a million times already in the past. But I don't think I'm going to go ahead and buy something. So by the end of it, they didn't just get what they probably would have paid for for free. They got double or triple that. That's what it likes when you feed the bottom feeding mentality of, well, you know, I just have one minor question because it's ne- I promise you this, it's never just one minor question. And then your second person is the person who has a little bit of money, but then what they do is they, they come to you, they flatter you, they bring up all these references and all these things that they know you can do. And then when you go ahead and give them the price, they go ahead and they basically say something like, um, well, you know, I, I really need to think about it. Or can you cut a discount? And I'm, I'm not against discounts. I'm, I'm a firm believer of cash in hand is better than walking away from a, a deal. I will almost always make a deal with anybody. But let me actually uh, go ahead and find this message. This is an example of somebody who flatters you, who tries to really, um, you know, get into your orbit. In this case, they might just message you on LinkedIn. And then what they do is they go ahead and at the end of it, when you're ready for the pitch and everything, they, uh, they go ahead and basically try and just, you know, nickel and dime you. And then they really make you question your own worth. People want like, you know, they, they want a Lamborghini, but they want to pay like Kia Soul prices. Not that I'm saying anything negative about Kia Soul. I drove a Kia Soul for five years, loved it. But they, they know how much you are worth and how much value you could give them. But they're going to build you up so then they can tear you down and then they can go ahead and get all the reward for none of what it's worth. And I've got, I've got an example of a message I received from some Canadian guy uh, on LinkedIn three days after I left Parler in December 2020. I'm going to go ahead and just read this out to you. Um, 
Hi, Remso. I'm a grad student building a platform, and Parler has caught my eye as a recent success story. <laughs> in in retrospect, this is this is uh, as as horrifying as it is a. Uh, is as it is informative, but we'll just just ignore that part if it bothers you and just follow along with this. Um, I have a few questions about the platform if you don't mind connecting. This is me. Hello, I'm no longer with Parlor. I'm sorry I can't be of help. Hi, Remso. That is not necessarily true. I am just looking for advice in general for an early startup for a platform. Would you be interested in helping me out with a quick phone call? Not more than 15 minutes of your day. Understand this. Two things. One, 15 minutes, that's going to charge you when you talk to me. Unless I'm doing a deal where I'm offering you 15 to half an hour of a free consultation for something. There, there's no such thing as free time. Unless I offer it to you, you don't, you don't just say, hey, I'm going to cold call you out of the blue for advice on this. I bill. And I'm not saying that to be a dick. It's just that if you're coming to me for value, I expect some value back. Um, I, I get I get very protective about that, but that that's the first thing. And it's it's like what I said earlier. Originally, so so this guy falls in the camp one and camp two. One, he's the guy that just wants to ask you just a little thing that's going to lead to a bunch of other stuff. And then secondly, he's the dude that builds you up. He first led with compliments. He first led with all of that. And uh, now he's going to start really, really veering down into that level two category. So I said, okay, I can do that, but I'm charging. I'm not going to tell you how much I was going to charge um, for this one. It, I I, I kind of did a little bit of recon into this dude, and I also realized that I, I I was dealing with probably a professional bullshitter. But if he was willing to pay this amount per hour, I probably will have at least given him 15 minutes. I'm charging X amount per hour for social media consultations. Let me know if you'd like to go forward with that, and we can schedule time. Let me tell you another secret, gentlemen, uh, ladies. If Do you know somebody is a bullshitter, especially from their LinkedIn, and there are ways to tell? There, there's some dark arts on whether or not somebody's a bullshitter. Um, it, you know, ghosting them or something can leave a bad impression. You, you, you always want to be the person that is upfront with it. And at the end of the day, maybe you might make some money out of it. If you, if you really don't want to talk to this person, just don't talk to them. It's, I mean, just, just not worth your time. But um, if you just want to at least see maybe if you could lead them into the direction of paying for something, give them an astronomical amount of money per hour. Because then they'll just lose their shit. And I will say that for what I would have charged him is what other people charge. But the fact that I was also out of a job at the time also meant that I couldn't necessarily have as much negotiating room as I wanted. So I did it twofold. One, because I'm, I'm worth the money. And two, because I also kind of want this guy just to go off. So uh, I, I continue. Let me know if you'd like to go forward with that and we can schedule time. And he sends me the Dr. Evil meme. How about new? And then he responds with that 15 minute conversation about your skill set, and we can discuss a price. Deal? And I respond, no, thank you. Have a good day. And he replies, you too. If you knew what my fucking skill set was, if you knew who I am and what I do, then that 15 minutes would have been enough that you needed to determine the next step for your startup. Now, what I did, even though he could, maybe he could tell it was a phase-out type of response, um, he, responding with a meme, one, I don't know if that's like a Gen Zer thing, 
but I don't even know millennials in a professional business setting who would respond with a meme, especially with a meme where you disagree with somebody. So that that alone ticked me off. But the, but the response of 15 minutes to go over your skills and we can discuss a deal, how about that? No, because I know what's going to come from that. No deal is going to come from that. You're going to try and get what you need to go, then you're going to go, and then you may or may not make money from it. But it's it's one of those situations where even if I had done that, even if he had been willing to pay some amount, you don't want to do business with a person like that. You really don't. It's not worth your time at all. Now, the third person I brought up earlier, because we had camp one, camp two, camp one is the bottom feeding person that's just going to take a take a take a take a take. And camp two is the person that's going to build you up, really emphasize how you can all make money and all this awesome stuff. And then they just try and really nail you down to the worst deal imaginable. They don't respect your time. Person three is the person that knows what they want, knows what they have to do to get what they want, knows who you are and what you can give them, and is willing to go ahead and put cash on the table and say, okay, let's start building something together to get some results. Those are the three types of people you're going to meet when you're a freelancer, when you're an online entrepreneur, when you're somebody who is especially a a young entrepreneur getting into business. I can certainly tell you that if I had learned about these three types of potential clients, um, I would have saved a lot of time and I would have made a ton of more money because in the time that I could be dealing with them for that 15-minute call, which is never 15 minutes, it goes on for hours and hours, I could be doing something else. I could be making other podcasts. I could be going and doing literally anything else productive with my time. I would rather go get 15 minutes of sleep than, than do this. I mean, it's just, it's just not worth it. Um, I had a friend who is a um, defense contractor. I was staying at his house in Pennsylvania last year for a weekend with my fiance. Uh, they, they own this beautiful home. They got away from the DC area and they bought uh, a home in Pennsylvania right before COVID. Real nice, tranquil, you know, lost weight, blood pressure's down, happier, much, much quieter. And he had a person who fell into the client number one category. They, they, he probably got like 60 billable hours from them, but he got a check for like one the entire time. And these people were terrible. It was like, oh, you know, the money's coming in. The money's coming in. You just got to keep waiting. The, the money never comes. Um, it, it, it never does. But a- anyway, to, to kind of loop it all in together, you, you've got you've to understand what it is you offer. And you can't be afraid of just things like that getting in your way. Now, I mentioned the comic book writer, the, the artist who is depriving the world of something amazing because they're afraid of what that might be. Then I mentioned all the other stuff where it's like you're afraid of the potential people who, who might come in. And, you know, I, I, I joked about the cancel people and, you know, the, the haters and the trolls and everything else. But, um, you know, the, the thing that bothers me when I speak to a lot of my clients, you might think that all those things I mentioned are all the things that scare them. And whether you're an entrepreneur or not, and I count people that have a very aggressive side hustle as entrepreneurs, you got that entrepreneurial spirit, I count you in. But whether this is kind of over your head, got into the weeds, you're like, when did you become a mindset show and that type of thing? Um, You know, I just want to really narrow it down to this because wherever you are in the world, I I bet you're working or I bet you're working a job right now that you don't intend to stay at, that you want to end up doing something else. Let me tell you what kills 
the potential for entrepreneurs. It's 110% themselves. I deal with writers. I deal, well, I'll call them potential writers because of all my clients in the past year and a half, only one of them wrote and published their book. One is in the process right now. I'll come some slack because it was his publisher that screwed him over on that. But like of all the people I spoke to, only one did it. Of all the people I did podcast consultations for, very, very large numbers of people, only one of them actually went through and did it. And I want to tell you the reason why. All of them spoke to me, paid money to talk to me, and then basically took all that advice and said, it's not for me. It was 100% themselves because I had two types of people. I had the person that used, well, I'm an introvert as an excuse. And I had the people that are like, I think I have imposter syndrome. (laughs) I don't get the nervous laugh thing because it's like, do you want me to take you seriously or do you want me to laugh with you? Oh, man, you know, I'm an introvert. (laughs) It's like, am I... I guess like a, it, it's a self-conscious thing. It's a, it's a low confidence thing, but like, you know, I, I, I've, I've never, I don't, I don't laugh with you when you do that. I really don't. Um, I've got many people who understand that podcasting and creating video content or blogging, that's what you need to help you get discovered online to a degree whether you're in the service industry or whether you're selling an actual product, what people are beginning to understand is that your everyday American consumer is developing less relationships with brands and they're developing more relationships with individuals, influencers, brand ambassadors. They, they want to be able to look at the person. Um, I mean, and you might say, well, what about Coke? What about, you know, the fact that people have memories of Coca-Cola or Pepsi and all that stuff? Understand, it's like, you know, there's a reason why they pay all these celebrities to drink their stuff on TV or to put their logo on their on their suits or their jerseys or whatever. There's a reason why NASCAR puts so much emphasis on getting these drivers to go out and take brand deals for like Lowe's and stuff like that. It's because you're building a connection with people. It's It's marketing at the end of the day. And I know many people who understand that if, especially if you want to build a good podcast or something like that, you you really need to niche down. You need to understand what is it that you know that other people want to know? How is it that you have the response that, I'm sorry, the experience, the, the responsibility that other people don't have in an immediate way? And how can you immediately provide it to them? And whether your podcast or blog gets millions of people looking at it, What you need to understand is that if you could do something for like 15, 30 minutes a week that could bring you an extra dozen customers alone, forget millions, forget thousands, forget hundreds. If you had another dozen clients who built a good relationship with you and became good long-term repeat customers, how would that affect you right now? And I have these people who come to me and literally they have everything they already need. They spend thousands of dollars on equipment. I mean, they spend more on equipment than I I spend or have spent in my entirety podcasting. They look at all the videos. They join all the mindset groups. They they talk a big game. They even, in some cases, put podcaster in their Twitter bio. But they don't end up actually going through with it. It's because when they actually understand that you need to be able to talk, when you actually need to put your real name on the line, 
especially if you're trying to build that name recognition within an industry to become a subject matter expert, that trusted advisor, as, um, as our good friend Brian Nichols would call them, um, that's where they, they begin to get nervous. And this is where they begin to think, well, you know, what if my show's not as good as so-and-so's? Well, they're doing this and they're doing so well. What if I can't deliver exactly that? And then the, the excuses just pile in. And this person who was so confident like 15 minutes ago has just talked completely talked themselves out of it. And nothing I can say, or even if I've been allowed to come and speak at this point without interrupting, whatever I could say, it's not going to convince them out of what they've already convinced themselves. And uh, the whole introvert thing, well, you know, I could, I could do all this, but I'm shy. And what if people don't like me? It's like, dude, people, listen, there are people in the world that like you. There are people in the world that don't like you. And there are a majority of people that have never heard of you who are going to automatically fall into one camp after meeting you. Just understand the haters and the cynics are out there. And your job is to introduce yourself to the people who are instinctively, who are instinctively like on a primal level, like this guy or gal's got something going on. You got to find those people. And in the process, you'll find the assholes. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I, I really am. I'm so much of an introvert on days that I know I'm going to have a long form podcast of somebody, especially if somebody is a stranger and this is the first time I'm meeting them. I have this habit of shutting myself off from other people, family, friends, coworkers. I try and have as little contact as possible because I'm so narrowly focused on getting that interview or series of interviews out of the way. Am I saying that's right? Am I saying that's what you should do? Close off the barriers and keep yourself away. No, but it's the natural habit I fall in. I can certainly tell you, and people are like, well, Rimsa, you speak so well, and I've seen you speak publicly, and you do all this stuff, and you talk to thousands of people. How, how do you do it? I'm like, it didn't come easy. I am not naturally suited to do this. I am so uncomfortable. The first monologue I did was for my old show four years ago, and it's a 30, 45-minute episode, and it took me almost an hour and a half to get through. It was one of the most painful experiences ever. I'm still not a natural monologuist, um, you know, and I think for a lot of people that especially, you know, like e even if they're an extrovert, they might not be a big monologue person. That's why a lot of podcasters shift to having panel shows or a co-host or always having a guest on. It's about what makes you feel the most comfortable because the most comfortable you are, that's going to come off to your listeners or to your audience and they're going to feel more comfortable. I mean, I just remember my first podcast ever in like 2015, 2016, you know, somebody was like, Remso, in one of your earlier episodes this week, your, your timeline went off. Yeah. I don't, I don't even remember freaking years. I, I still call this year 2020 sometimes. So if I, if I give years that or like a year or so off, I, I apologize. But let's just say when I first started, my first ever podcast ever, ever, ever was a monologue episode that I produced with my brother who edited it. And you, if you went back, and I please don't go listen back to that in the old show. If you go back to that episode one, it is the choppiest, most uncomfortable, cringy shit you will ever listen to. Luckily, 
I started interviewing people. I got out of my shell. And after a couple of years, I started doing like one monologue a season. Then when I went into a regular show, I was like, I'll do one or two monologues a month. And now depending on what's going on, whether I'm traveling, whether I've got scheduling conflicts or something like that, I, I do a lot more monologues. And I don't even do monologues just here. I, I'll do a monologue for uh, Patreon content on patreon.com slash second print pod for second print comics podcast with Mark Claire that y'all love. And if you don't love it, what the hell uh, I do monologues for, um, you know, other things like it's, it's just one of those situations where I had to pull myself out of it. And even now it, it's still difficult, but I, what I understood was this for me to obtain what I wanted, I had to go ahead and embrace the uncomfortableness of it. And this could be said for many other things. I mean, what I'm telling myself now, I could probably look at myself in the mirror and be like, you know, you could apply that same logic to the gym, Remso. Uh, you could apply the same logic to learning new skills. Uh, I've been avoiding getting a Google Analytics certification because the idea of taking another series of online courses um, after going through four years of freaking college makes me want to puke. Like, I'll tell you that. The only thing between me and that Google Analytics certification uh, that could probably make me look really good as an industry leader. Um, it's entirely me. It's there. The course is free. You just got to pay a fee for the test. What's stopping me? Stopping me is the fact that I want to do more classes. I don't want to take more tests. I, I just don't want to freaking do it. I don't even like doing the stuff on Coinbase, which if you want $100, free if you want $100 in free Bitcoin, uh, check out the Coinbase link over at remso.substack.com uh, and any of those newsletters. But but anyway, it's like, uh, you know, when, when you're on Coinbase, for example, and they've got the rewards section, it's like you could you could earn $4 of shit coin. I don't even like taking those quizzes. I do it because I get paid. But it's like, I don't even like doing that what, what I'm saying is like th this excuse that being an introvert is what's going to prevent you from doing something that you obviously want to do and might even be passionate about is complete and utter bullshit. Being an introvert is not a disability. In fact, I'll say being an introvert versus being an extrovert is is an advantage in some cases. Being an introvert means that you're going to be more selective about the people you keep in close proximity. Being an introvert is making sure that you're never going to overtalk. Being an introvert means that you're going to value your time more. Being an introvert means you're probably going to be a little bit more introspective than your extrovert peers. This, this idea that being an introvert is negatively affecting your life is, I, I think, an absolute and utter lie. And we, we need to dispel that lie because being an introvert is no better and no worse than being an extrovert. It's just your default mentality. It's your default state as a person. Um, you know, people would go up to my now fiance when she was just my girlfriend, when we used to do, you know, big public events back in DC when we lived there. And people would be like, you know, he talks so confidently and he's so funny. And I don't know who's calling me funny these days, but, you know, uh, is, is he always like this? And she'll be like, no, he doesn't like people. He doesn't. And I, I, it's not that I don't like people. It's just that I, I'm, I'm very protective of my time and who I allow in my circle as a person. But it's like, no, he, he likes to be quiet. He likes to read. He likes to do stuff by himself. And he, he appreciates his alone time sometimes. And then I've got... Um, situations where, 
you know, some, sometimes I, I just, you know, if I have done like a event or something, or I've gone to a convention or something, I've got to just shut down. I've got to, I've got to take a break at some point. I've got to, I've got to turn off the phone and everything else. You know, there's a funny story. Um, a few Christmases ago, my mom asked my brother, what should we get Remso? And, uh, she was thinking of an Apple watch because I'm a watch collector and I had an Apple watch, but I, I gave it to my brother and she didn't know why. And, uh, ultimately the reason why I don't like smart watches as a whole, why I will never own an Apple watch again, is not even because I don't like Apple watches. I think they're pretty cool. Um, the reason why is that I, I get pretty severe anxiety from my phone and my laptop because I'm a catastrophist. I think each time I see a notification or a new email or something, I, I, I instinctively freak out. It's something I've had to work on for many years. I actually had to go through like a three-month session with my uh, then therapist just to resolve, like, why am I afraid of people calling me? Why am I afraid of new messages in my inbox? I still get nervous. It's never, I never get excited. It's not like waking up on Christmas. It's always uh, someone, you know, someone, someone like hit your dog or something, like grandpa's dead or something. Like, you know, you, you're in trouble. This is the circumstance. It's always that. My mindset is always that. And, uh, you know, when I had an Apple watch, it didn't make it worse because about like, you know, random people having super easy access to me through all the apps and all the platforms and, you know, through my phone and everything else, you think I want to carry that on my wrist. Um, and my, my brother basically echoed that. He's like, Remso doesn't like people calling his cell phone. What makes you think they want to call his, he's going to be cool if they call his watch. And, uh, it, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's absolutely true. And, um, you know, it's just, I have had to learn what, 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 what is the best way to keep me in a state of positivity and overall productivity and being an introvert, I, I do see it as a strength. So this idea of, oh, I'm just afraid to put myself out there. Listen, I've done dumber shit in public in, in my lifetime than you will probably ever do yourself. It's also because I, I have a very low bar for, for self-deprecation. Like I, like I will, like I've, I've got very, very little shame left in me. Um, I'm not, I'm not boasting about that. That's just a fact, but like I, I have done all the embarrassing shit. Um, I've put out podcasts where audio was terrible. I've done videos where video was terrible. I've done interviews where I was terrible. I've done so many things that sucked. I'm a horrible graphic designer. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm not a graphic designer person. I've made all the ugly shit. I have failed in more ways most people have tried, but what I benefited from those experiences was that I know what I'm good at and I got even better at what I'm good at. And that's what allows me to do everything I do today, from my day job to establishing my additional streams of income to my other projects to my client work. It's all worked out better. And it came through a lot of years of uncomfortable situations and pain in many cases and a ton of sleepless nights in the process. So that's my message for the introverts. Now, for those dealing with imposter syndrome, let me tell you this. I am your ultimate C-list, niche political celebrity that your great-grandma has never heard of. I'm never going to be famous. I'm never going to get a show on Fox News. I'm never going to have a super viral moment. And some of the viral moments I had were definitely far from enviable. Um, but 
I have a large tribe of people compared to your average person who, if I asked them to donate to a friend's charity, we will raise hundreds of dollars within a day. And that's not me pulling an example off in there. I had a friend whose puppy got parvo. Parvo is almost near fatal for, uh, for puppies. It basically kills their immune system and as they lose their appetite and everything else, they stop drinking and they basically uh, they, they basically starve and get, you know dehydrate themselves to death. It's a horrible, horrendous thing. So his puppy got parvo. Oh, and parvo is also contagious. So his puppy got parvo. His puppy sleeps with all the other puppies. And it was going to be a $500 bill to treat him, put him in overnight with a, with a veterinarian and also give him all the IVs he needed. And my friend is torn up. He's like, I can't have my puppy die. I love my puppy. And as an animal owner, if you all follow me on like Instagram and stuff, you know, I'm an animal owner. I, my heart immediately went out to him. First thing I did, I sent him a hundred bucks. This is what I could do right now. I'm going I'm to PayPal you right now. Here's what I'm also going to do. I'm going to create a Facebook fundraiser for you. I'm going to promote it across all my social media. I'm going to pull in favors with all my super popular friends. I want to thank Gavin Wax. I want to thank Brad Palumbo. I want to thank Autumn Price. I want to thank uh, Brady Leonard. I want to thank everyone else whose name I can't think off the top of my head, but you're awesome, you're special, and you helped save a life. I want to thank all of them for sharing and even those who contributed. And I sent out something through my newsletter. And I messaged a few groups I'm in. And within a day... We raised, counting the seven hundred, uh, counting the the hundred I PayPal'd him. We raised seven hundred and twenty dollars in like a day during the week, in the middle of pay periods for some people when they didn't have money to just give out. But I have a tribe of people that when I need them, especially spring into action for something as important as this. They, they jumped in without even a second's hesitation. That's influence. And you don't even have to really sell somebody. You don't have to beg. You just say, here's the situation. Here's what you can do right now. I'm asking for your help. Bam. Uh, most of the time, a puppy gets parvo doesn't last more than 72 hours. Uh, I can tell you that my friend's puppy is on to full recovery. You think if I used being an introvert as an excuse, that would resolve me of any obligation I have as a friend? That would resolve me of any you know, burden I have as somebody that has a small degree of wealth, a limited degree of power, power as a you know, as a as me. It's I use big air quotes, but influence. The influence is the important part. That's why Jason Stapleton literally named his show Wealth, Power, and Influence. All those things matter to a degree. Um, you know, on days where it's like, I, I didn't get the downloads I wanted, I didn't get the retweets I wanted, I didn't get the sales I wanted, it's moments like that off-the-cuff, last-minute fundraiser asking people to donate to a stranger in most cases. They didn't know him. 
that's those moments that count that I would have never had otherwise. That moment right there meant more to me than when I crowdfunded for my second book and I raised all the money I needed plus a lot more money halfway until the deadline was over. It meant more than that. I can report that the puppy is doing very well. He's on the mend. He's getting his energy back. And he's going to be the outlier who goes through this death sentence in most cases and lives. That's beautiful. On to the other type of person, the person... Now, now this is a phone call I had of somebody who you probably know online if you're in, like, let's say, the libertarian Twitter space and stuff like that. Funny, beautiful, intelligent. We're on the phone talking about something, and she's like, you know, I wish I had your confidence. I'm like, what confidence? What confidence? This person suffers from what I call, well, not what I call, what professionals called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is when you lack belief in your own ability despite your actions and results to obtain a certain level of success. And this person who is very popular, who has degreed a level, who has, who has uh, you know, um, generated a level and earned a level of social proof through blue check marks and thousands of people and thousands of reactions. She's one of those people that will put their cash app <laughs> link on their bio and people are just like, send me feet pics and shit like that. Um, this person has imposter syndrome. And uh, all I could tell her is I feel that all the time. Now, I think the only time imposter syndrome is real is like what I had of some people who for some reason became super, super influential online. And by influential, I just mean they get tons of retweets and this person may have been retweeted by Bill Maher and Donald Trump at one point. And, um, you know, for some weird reason she's going on TV shows and stuff and I, she doesn't even really know why. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, I don't really know why, um, this person had imposter syndrome. And if I said who they were, you'd probably be like, that's not fucking true, but it is because I went into, uh, DC about three, four years ago, 2017 to produce a podcast for her. I was going to be her first guest co-host for her pilot episode, and we were going to produce a weekly series, and there were people that wanted to put money behind it and all this other stuff. So we go into her apartment, and she's catatonic. She's like, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. We sit around. We watch YouTube videos. We play Jenga. We bullshit around. And then eventually I'm like, listen, I'm not even getting comps for the metro ticket and the parking we need to record something. So we recorded an hour-long episode about the stuff that she felt other people wanted her to talk about. But when it came to what she actually had to say about it, she had nothing to say. And we recorded the episode, and it would have been, you know, an all right pilot. And then a week later, it was like, no, we're not even doing it. And that person still went on to her level of Twitter infamy and everything else. But after about six months of, you know, real high highs and real low lows, she quit that, even abandoning her old Twitter account and became a real estate agent, became like a Christian or something. And she's dating some white dude in Texas and she's living a happy realtor's life. That is an example of imposter syndrome where you fake it till you make it. And then when you make it, 
there's literally nothing you can do. So take my friend in the previous point. I wish I had your confidence. Sometimes I feel like I, I'm, I'm not the real deal. And I had to look at her. I'm like, you put in so much work into your shit. You, you put so much effort in. You get results. You've done the stuff. You've sung the song and you dance the dance. If, any, if you're telling yourself that you're not the real deal because you haven't reached a certain level, understand that the real deal isn't based off of you know, what you think people are saying about you. It's what you've actually done as a person. I, 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 I had imposter syndrome when I self-published my two books. You know what they call a self-published author? An author who goes traditionally published, they call you an author. You know what the difference between me and traditionally published authors is? In some cases, at least I was the bestseller. Yeah, I can say that. I'm not self-published author, Remzo Martinez. I'm best-selling author, Remzo Martinez, and no one could ever take that away from me. One of the first times I felt like a real author, I was interviewing um, for a job for, for a magazine, and I had just fit, published my first book, Stay Away from Libertarians. And the guy was asking me, he's like, you self-published this, you did all this, and I'm going through all the work and all the things I had to do, and I told him how I did it and all that stuff. And I even told him, you know, Ben Shapiro um, told people to read a positive review about my book and immediately shot up to the Amazon bestsellers listing several categories. And he's like, wow, have you made money from it? I'm like, I actually started profiting from it, uh, from what I initially put into self-publishing. He's like, wow. You know, I have a friend who published through Regnery, a book about immigration, and he's a lawyer and all this stuff. And he got reviews from Jeb Bush and he did a radio thing and like you've got way more earned media than him and you've got way more mentions than him and he's never made any money <laughs> off of that book. And that was one of those things where I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, wow, I, maybe, maybe I have made it just a smidge, just a smidge. All this to say, imposter syndrome, much like I'm an introvert. I can't do this. It's just an excuse. Imposter syndrome can be summed up as one thing. It's a lack of confidence. And I deal with that regularly. But the thing is, it's like baseball. One, no crying in baseball. But two, ball don't lie. Those checks I get, those royalty checks, whether it's a few bucks one month or a few hundred bucks another month, those checks clear. Those downloads whether they be big or small, those, da that those downloads show it. Those clients I work with, they have to get real results or else they wouldn't work with me, et cetera, et cetera. Ball don't lie. Ball don't lie. Now, some of you are listening to this and you're like, Remzo and blah, 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 and you're just coming up with excuses in your head. You know, there's an appeal to authority in some cases. And I, I was speaking with my publicist um, Chloe, and I'm like, you know, I want to bring in somebody who has sung the song and danced the dance. Someone who genuinely is an entrepreneur on fire, not because they just was born that, born a success, born a public speaker, born a uh, content creator, a millionaire, all these things, but somebody who started in the same position as many of us had the same lack of confidence, had the same imposter syndrome, but began to realize that work is work, the results and the results, and the ball don't lie. At the end of the day, if you're putting in the work, how are you an imposter? 
if you want to be a public speaker, why would you say that because you're not naturally an extroverted person, you shouldn't do that? The list goes on. But for those of you who want to hear it from somebody that really does it, because even I can't convince you of my small incremental amount of success I've had in my life, which has brought me some pretty genuine happiness for the first time in a long time, I've got the perfect guest right now. All right, so enough about all this. Let's go ahead and get to the real reason why you tuned in today. Our guest, John Lee Dumas. John is a founder and host of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. With over 100 million listens of his 3,000-plus episodes, JLD has turned Entrepreneurs on Fire into a media empire that generates over a million listens every month and seven figures of net annual revenue eight years in a row. His first traditionally published book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, is a modern-day version of Think and Grow Rich with a revolutionary 17-step roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. And you can go ahead and learn about that at UncommonSuccessBook.com. Without further, further, blah, 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 without further ado, John Lee Dumas. John, this is uh, one of those moments that I think is really a highlight for me as a content creator. I remember listening to you while I was in college from 2013 through 2017, really trying to build up my knowledge and my motivation to try and you know build something that could develop me passive streams of income that could also you know expand my professional development. But you know, in, in more of an esoteric sense, it's built up my confidence. And what I have tried to do with some of my clients, whether they're content creators themselves, whether whether they're industry professionals that want to go ahead and grow their own name brand recognition, or even if they're just, you know, civil leaders, people that need to take a public facing stance on something. Um, what, what I hear constantly is I don't know if I am a good public speaker. I don't know if I have the confidence to do that. So I, I've heard you speak about this on other shows briefly before. I kind of just want to start from the beginning. When you realized that you had the knowledge, that you had the products and services that could help people develop that confidence, get out there and actually become somebody that could provide value to others, uh, especially if your podcast, were you nervous? Of course. I'm something that you call a human being. And if you are a human being, you are going to be nervous. You are going to have doubts. You are going to have fears. You are going to have all of these things because once again, you are a human being. And that's one thing I really think a lot of people need to take away from this is like, listen, these doubts, these fears, these nervousnesses that you're having, these, you know, just quirks, whatever it might be, phobias. It's because you're a human being and every single human that's ever walked this earth has felt these same emotions. So first off, thank you for sharing that my show has inspired you in some way, shape or form over your collegiate years. And thank you for making me feel so old. I appreciate both. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's it's the least I can do. <laughs> it's but, what we young people do these days. <laughs> a- absolutely, and I, and I mean, you know, you you've done thousands of hours of audio content, interviewing people, doing monologues. I mean, what what I tell people is you're going to feel uncomfortable the first couple of times. You're going to feel uncomfortable the first hundreds of times. The only way you could feel more comfortable is to keep doing it. When when did it start feeling real for you? When did you wake up one day and think to yourself, you know, I'm actually not that bad at this? I'd say it was episode 484. 400 episodes? Took 400 episodes, <laughs> if I'm being specific, 484 episodes. And I finished it and I was like, you know what? I didn't feel nervous that entire time. I didn't just absolutely go blank a couple of times. I didn't have fear of going down a rabbit hole thinking I couldn't maybe get back to the main point. I didn't think that I was stuttering or stammering all the time. And hey, it's all about putting in the reps. It's all about getting up every single day and just getting a tiny, incy beansy 1% better at something. And for me, that was 484 times that I had to get a little bit better at this thing called podcasting. Do, do you have any type of ritual, routine, something that kind of gets you in the mindset before you step behind the microphone? No, I just take some deep breaths, really focus on belly breathing and you know, really just say, how can I become a person of value today, whether that's as the host of my show, whether that's a guest on other shows, that to me is what it's all about. Just being a person of value. I'm, I'm kind of similar in the same way. I mean, I I don't have any routines. I don't do anything special necessarily before doing an episode of my show or going on someone else's because the way I had to frame it for myself is this is just a regular conversation I would be having with anyone else, whether, you know, it's a personal relationship or whether it's something in a more professional setting. The only difference is now it's being recorded and other people are going to hear it. But how is that different than anyone, you know, listening in on a conversation if they're right next to you or something else. The, the, the way you do it doesn't change. It's just that now it's going to be heard by more people. Mm, well said. Um, uh, another thing that, you know, I, I hear pretty often, and it really always narrows down to these two questions. It's like you get people who are inspired. You, you hear people that, you know, have this great idea for a show, whether they want to do the the number one podcast about how to paint a house or social media, whatever it is that they want to do to stand out from their competition. One of the two things I usually hear is, well, I don't know if I, if, if I should really go through with it. I'm an introvert. And and I usually laugh at that too, because I respond back with, well, that's funny you say that because I'm, I'm an extreme introvert by nature as well. I feel like people use that as an excuse often. How would you define yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? And depending on that, I mean, do you really think it matters where, where you're at in that standing, because everyone's got a natural preset, a natural, you know, pre, predeposition in terms of where they come at things mindset wise. But I don't think finding yourself as an introvert is necessarily an excuse to keep yourself from, you know, putting yourself out there, especially online. I don't think it matters to answer your second question first. And I feel like everybody likes to say that they're an introvert as like a way to just expose themselves as like being in the minority as far as like, I'm an introvert. They kind of like whisper sometimes because they feel like that kind of gives them a pass on whatever it is they want to pass for. When the reality is, I actually believe that 90 plus percent of human beings identify as introverts. Now they may not all be introverts. They may just identify that way, but everybody loves to claim that they're an introvert because guess what? 
they like to spend time by themselves. They, they like to, you know, cuddle up on the couch and just Netflix and chill. And guess what? I like to do those things too, but I am definitely an extrovert and I definitely identify as an extrovert, but I love doing introverted things as well. So, I mean, for me, like, even though I consider myself in the massive minority of being an extrovert, because I feel like, again, 90 plus percent of people identify as introverts um, while thinking that probably 90% of people are extroverts incorrectly, that they use that again as a way to kind of give them a pass at doing X or Y or Z. And to me, it's kind of a very similar analogy to people that identify as what I like to call perfectionists. Like I'm a perfectionist. Like I want everything that I do to be perfect. I'm not going to launch anything until it is perfect. And I say, wait a second, you're not a perfectionist you're a coward and you just need to live up to that word. And guess what? Don't take offense to me calling you a coward because I've been a coward before, even as an extrovert, even as a combat veteran, even as somebody that loves putting myself out there, I am 100% guilty of being a coward in the past because I use that word perfectionism and being perfect as an excuse to hide behind, to not do something. I can't launch this until it's perfect. I can't launch this because... I'm a perfectionist and it's not perfect yet. That's just honestly me hiding behind that word, just like introverts like to hide behind that word as reasons why they don't do X or Y or Z. And what I just want to get across is if you're an introvert, awesome, embrace that. If you are trying to be a perfectionist, stop kidding yourself. You're actually a coward and that's okay, but just embrace it. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I had a client several years ago who was in the the publishing world. Um, She wanted to go ahead and start a podcast with a few of her colleagues because what they saw was that nobody else in their immediate space was doing that. So it would be something they could do to kind of separate themselves from everyone else. But the problem is they had all the technology. I gave them all the training. They had all the branding materials. The issue that they had was finally pulling the trigger. And it took almost a year and a half for them to launch that show. And by the time they did it, you know, they they built up their confidence. They've been consistent. They've been doing very well ever since, except what they did by wasting that time waiting for the, you know, quote unquote, right moment was that everybody else had done it. So by the time they came in, instead of being trailblazers in their industry space, they were, you know, they were just catching up to everyone else. And it's that opportunity cost that I don't think people really you know, think about until it really hits them that, you know, the difference between me now and me a year ago is really nothing. It would have been good, but now because time has passed between now and then, um, the whole circumstances have changed. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, if you could go back and listen to the first handful of episodes of your show that you did, I mean, what, what are some of the tips and tricks that you, you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself then? Um, guess what? Nobody's listening. Like, that's the thing that I think a lot of people are stressed out about at the beginning is they're like, I need my show to be perfect. My website to be perfect. My email newsletter, my funnels to be in line. No, because nobody's listening and nobody's going to care for a significant amount of time until you build something that matters. And that takes time, time, time. So just get it out there. It can be imperfect. It can be ugly. It can be gross. It just needs to get out there. You need to have a massive bias towards action. That is the only way you are ever going to win as an entrepreneur is to get it out there, to learn, to educate yourself, to make it happen step by step. 
Now, for what I do as a consultant is I help people who want to develop a podcast, have it match their brand, match their personality, and ultimately be an asset to themselves and their company. Um, the, the thing is, though, is that sometimes I encounter people that really want to get into podcasts, but they don't really want to do the work that goes into it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think podcasting is for everybody. I did an episode recently where I went down whether or not, hey, should you blog? Should you do a podcast? Should you do video work? What should you do? And ultimately it came down to you need to do what you're best comfortable with and what you think is going to you know, be a be of the best, most efficient value to what it is you're trying to provide people. Do you think too many people jumping the podcasting or do you think it's one of those things that more people could get into if they just knew how to properly, you know, message effectively and market it effectively? Listen, nothing's going to work in this world unless you have a passion and a desire to do it. So if you have a passion and desire to share your voice, your message, mission that you have with the world via an audio platform like podcasting, then yeah, give it a try. See what happens and do it ugly. Do it quick. Get it out there. And guess what? If you don't, then find something else. Maybe you should be a writer. Maybe you should be focusing on different platforms for various reasons. I don't know the answer to that question and neither do you until you put it out to the world because no platform is for everybody. So you just need to figure out which platform is for you by putting in the reps. Absolutely. And to kind of wrap things up, since we're running close on time, you know, I, I could tell a lot of my clients the same thing over and over again, but I think if it comes from you, it'll pack a little bit of an extra punch <laughs> for those people who are just nervous whether it's the cowardly mindset, whether they are a perfectionist and they're just really trying to fight that out inside of them to take that next step towards you know, becoming the face of their business or building their brand recognition or simply trying to become the leader in their industry or space that they, they desire to become, um, you know, what, what's your message to those folks? My message is this, is this. You need to become the number one best solution to a real problem in this world. If you become the best solution to a real problem, you will win. If you become the second best solution to a problem, you will lose. And so you need to focus on becoming the best solution to a real problem in this world, whatever that looks like, whatever that means to you, and that's where and when you have the chance to actually win. Focus on becoming the best. And that's going to mean you need to niche. That's going to mean you need to identify an underserved market, a void that's not being filled. And if and when you do, that's where you'll find true success. Well, JLD, this has been an absolute honor to get to speak to you. I appreciate your time. And I know my listeners greatly appreciate your input. Thank you so much. It was a blast. Thank you. Thank you.